Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, one of our teaching leaders, Vicki Tatko, will be discussing Genesis chapters 22 and 23. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, and join Vicki as she shares truths from God's Word. Welcome to BSF. We're learning from Genesis 22 and 23 today. My name is Vicki. Let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for pursuing us. You know that there are lots of things that we find hard. Uh, this week has been hard in our country. This week um, has been hard personally for many of us. Uh, Lord, you know what we are each facing. And Father, um, your word is hard. These chapters are hard for us. We ask that you would have mercy, that you would give us patience and humility Help us to hear your word rightly, to wrestle with you, and learn uh, the lessons that you would have us learn. Uh, Teach us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, and we pray that our lives, our minds, our hearts, the things that we think and what comes out of our mouths would be more a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ um, after we study this passage than even um, we have right now. So, Father, be with us as we dive into this uh, challenging passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in December, my family and I backpacked the Big Piney Trail in Mark Twain National Forest in Missouri. And although I warned them that I would be the weakest link, they still said that they wanted me to go. Two days, one night, 17 miles, moderate terrain. Uh, It would only get down to 28 degrees, so they said. It'll be fun, they said. You'll love the views, they said. We'd love to have you come along, they said. (laughs) My idea was that we would go hard the first day, uh, maybe get through 10 to 12 miles, and then we'd have a nice, easy hike on back in. And I like that. Do the hard work first and then coast a bit. Well, that plan did not work out. Uh, by the time we got on the trail, uh, the long, cold December night was not far away. We got a little over halfway on the first day. Our legs were beat. Um, That was fine. I consoled myself in the tent on that dark, cold night. Uh, We'll get up. We'll use all the daylight efficiently, and we'll be able to take a nice steady pace and make it back to the car. What I realized as we hiked, and I looked at the map, that we didn't make it as far the first day as I had thought. Um, Lots of those contour lines stacked together on the trail ahead a lot more than I anticipated. They were steep ups and downs that second day, up and down, up and down, up and down. As soon as I could feel my toes again, (laughs) 
my old basketball knee injury started talking to me. Well, we came to the end of our food. Uh, We were near the end of our water supply. We were definitely near the end of our legs, at least mine. And I will say the family did not need to carry me out. (laughs) It was close, but they had to empty my backpack so that I was just carrying my clothes and, uh, yeah, just the backpack. Uh, Based on where we thought we were, Brett and I counted there would be the number of ups and downs left. And we thought, oh, only four. Okay, four, then three, two, ah, then finally one. And still we marched on step by step. Where was the sign of the trailhead? The up and downs kept coming. Um, Finally, we did make it to our car. Whew, we're done, I thought. And 90 minutes later, we're parked in our driveway. I opened the door and I tried to stand up. My legs would barely listen to me. Somehow, I got into the house. Somehow, I got up the stairs. But believe it or not, that last leg of the journey was probably the hardest. Life in 2020 was hard. Many of us were hoping 2021 would be easier. We'd put in our time, we thought. And somehow, 2021 would give us a fresh start. But then, we had this past week. Maybe you've seen the meme, quote, we've tried 2021 for seven days and now we want our money back. Maybe you have friends like mine who have posted on social media um, as they've surveyed the challenges of our city and our country is facing. um, My friend posted, quote, processing loss, chaos, fear, sadness, anger, and instability is exhausting. I am beyond tired. Maybe that's you. Uh, my heart feels the weariness too. Yes, our, bro- our world is broken and needs healing. We get tired. Can't we coast a little? We've been walking with Abraham in Genesis for more than 25 years. He's over 100 years old. We've seen him navigate ups and downs, but he, cl- he has clung firmly to God and his promises. We might ask, isn't it time for him to retire? Put up his feet. Settle into his tent, drink from his own well, stop giving his wife to monarchs, and just enjoy life a little bit. Well, easy retirement is not the plan that God had for Abraham. In fact, he was to face two of his life's hardest challenges in his senescence, our two chapters today, Genesis 22 and 23. In fact, this peak intensity of Abraham's life is also no walk in the park for you and me. Genesis 22 especially is a hard chapter. It presents us with God commanding something we struggle to fathom, that Abraham should sacrifice the very child God had just provided. What kind of God would ask such a thing, and why? These are the same kind of questions Genesis' original audience, the Israelites in the desert whom God had rescued from Egypt, These are the same kind of questions they would certainly have had also with Genesis 22. How would our God command Abraham, our father, to do such a horror? How does this line up with God's character as he has revealed himself to us? Didn't God tell us in his law that child sacrifice was forbidden, an abomination? In Genesis 22.1, 
The narrator tells us Abraham is being tested. And I suggest to you that looking and thinking about his context, its context to uh, as being written to the Israelites in the desert shows us that this passage is meant to test its readers as well. If we, like the Israelites, are wrestling with God's character and purposes as we read Genesis 22, we are in fact cooperating with the narrator's intent. Who is this God? What kinds of things can he ask from us, and why would he do that? Genesis 22 presents an invitation to wrestle deep with God, his character, and his promises. Will you accept that invitation? Will I? It will not be easy, but how relieving for those of us who think we need to hide our wrestlings about God from God, rather than invite Him into our questions and our doubts. I think as we study Genesis 22 and 23, we can learn that the life of commitment to God will not be easy. But because God is gracious, our efforts will not be in vain. He wants us to know Him and He wants us to learn to follow Him wholeheartedly so that He will bless us and extend His blessing to the whole world. So, we'll look at Genesis 22 and 23 today in two divisions. Uh, We'll look at chapter 22, God tests with purpose, and chapter 23, Abraham grieves with hope. So, open your Bibles if you don't already have them out, um, turn them on. Go to Genesis 22, and we'll dive in uh, to Genesis 22. God tests Abraham with purpose. And so these first two verses set up the frame. Um, We see after the passage of time, um, God gives Abraham a mysterious and hard test. And so that first uh, half of verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. This is Moses letting us know, letting us as readers behind the curtain, we probably know more than Abraham. He's being tested, and he may not realize that. We've seen Abraham tested before. He's faced famine. He's faced lack of offspring. He's feared for his own life. Life circumstances often test us, but these tests were never overtly named as tests. So, this frame hints that this here, this peak at uh, the end of Abraham's life is a test of tests, the supreme test of Abraham's life. Uh, And so, let's listen. What exactly is the test? Let's read um, verses uh, 22, 1 to 3. So, okay. So, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Um, So, let's think about what that test is. Um, A test is different from a temptation. James 1, 12 to 16 tells us that God tests people, but he never tempts anyone with evil. The Hebrew verb used here um, is 
when it is used for God, it means that God is acting to reveal the quality of one's commitment to him. And so just like in the hands of a good teacher, a good a test is not meant to hurt or shame a student. It's meant to show a student progress, uh, to assess where they still need improvement. The goal of a test in the hands of a good teacher is success, not failure, blessing, not curse. And that's the question that we grapple with fundamentally, God's character. Is God good? Um, If he is good, why would he test Abraham like that? Um, Notice how God's command emphasizes Isaac. Um, It hangs on that your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Um, God knows Abraham's heart, and he knows what Abraham loves. Um, God knows that he's asking something of Abraham that is costly. Um, Just like Genesis' original audience would have understood, God not only sees our hearts and our loves, but he himself demands love, um, his love for his people, be reciprocal, that they respond to him with covenant faithfulness and love. Um, listen to Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So at the heart of this test is a battle of loves. The question is, which, Abraham, do you love more? Do you love God more or do you love your son? Another question, why would God want his love reciprocated? What is it about our hearts that perhaps do not want to reciprocate the love that God has for us? Um, The Israelites in the desert would also have understood exactly what God was asking um, when he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering, a burnt offering offering was the costliest offering um, a worshiper could make. God had prescribed that Israel should worship him with burnt offerings. What that was, you would take an unblemished animal, so an animal without any defects or problems in it, it would come from your own herd. And that animal would be offered to the Lord in a way that there would be nothing, no benefit for you. Um, it would be killed and it would be burnt up with nothing left. The priests would get the hide, but you as a as the worshiper would be showing your complete devotion for God. Um, a burnt offering could be offered for many reasons, for thanksgiving, praise, atonement, fulfilling a vow. Um, but that's the purpose of a burnt offering, to show complete and utter devotion for God. Why? Why would God direct his people to worship him in such a costly way? We should wrestle with that question. But let's get back to the to the big tension. Genesis first audience, the Israelites in the desert would also have been horrified at the idea of a child sacrifice. God's law prescribed animal sacrifice, but specifically forbid human sacrifice and especially child sacrifice. That was an abomination. And so, if we look ahead 
we as a benefit of that as readers, we can see um, the test's outcome suggests that God never intends Isaac to be killed, but admittedly, the narrator doesn't give us any evidence that Abraham would have realized that. Why? Why would God ask something, at least on the surface, for something so abominable? Um, if we give God the benefit of the, of the doubt, what about our hearts might require such a test like this, um, to be asked to surrender the thing that we love the most in a way that it would give us no personal benefit whatsoever. And particularly, this son, the promised son, the one that Abraham had been waiting and waiting and waiting over 25 years for, um, that to have offer that son, what would that mean for Abraham's heart? And so we see going on um, from verses 3 to 18, we see Abraham make the journey of obedience. And we can track the journey geographically in four parts. He goes to Moriah, up Moriah, on Moriah, from Moriah. And so he's traveling probably, if we look at the map here, um, he's probably in the area of Hebron um, here. And so about, uh, I don't know, I estimated (laughs) it's a little bit more than an inch. So it's about 20 miles perhaps to the north where now present-day Jerusalem would be. Look at that. A lot of ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. 100-year-old knees doing that, um, carrying things that would um, certainly have been hard. Um, This is a journey of obedience. And one of the hardest things to understand is the quietness and steadfastness of Abraham's journey. The narrator doesn't let us see inside. Um, In chapter 21, verse 11, Abraham was greatly distressed about his son Ishmael's departure. Is Abraham distressed now? Probably yes. Does he have questions and concerns racing around his head? Probably yes. Uh, The narrator doesn't present those, however. Um, We see this 100-year-old man immediately, personally, and quietly preparing and then launching on a journey toward the hardest thing that he had ever thought about doing. And so off they go. It's a three-day journey taken step by step up and down. And after seeing Mount Moriah, Abraham calmly and enigmatically um, tells his servants, let's read verse 5, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. What did he mean? Uh, we will worship and then come back to you. Um, Hebrews eleven nineteen helps us understand. Uh, it writes, he considered that God was able to even to raise him, meaning Isaac, from the dead, which figured, which figuratively speaking, he did receive back. So we don't know again what's going on in Abraham's mind. What are the wrestlings of his faith? Abraham probably didn't understand how God would do it, but he believed in some way that God would allow he and Isaac to come back. Um, then we get to the part of the journey, the second part, where they, Abraham and Isaac go up Moriah. The narrative zooms in, and we have this quiet, tender conversation of Isaac with Abraham, verses 7 and 8. Isaac spoke up. 
and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the land from the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Um, Notice that Abraham does not give a direct answer. He defers to God. Abraham's focus in this, even in this test, was not on himself, not I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, but that God will somehow see it through. That's a good model for you and me, not to focus on what we do not know or ourselves, but what we do know about God. Are you facing a hard situation? Chances are in 2021 you are. Um, what it, would it look like in this situation to not focus on yourself and not focus on what you don't know? How will I make the car payment? Um, but what you do know about God, you can ask yourself, what do you know about God that would be relevant to making your car payment? Um Abraham's words express right faith in God, and yet Abraham seems reluctant to disclose God's full command. He knows it is a horrific thing, um, and God doesn't fully as God doesn't fully reveal His plan to us. So Abraham, we see, also doesn't fully reveal um, the plan to those in his house. It's probably too much for him to take in. Once on the mountain, up the mountain, Abraham, we see the third stage of the journey. This is the pinnacle. Abraham steadfastly prepares for the sacrifice. Uh, Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. At some point, Isaac, who was old enough to carry the wood, and old enough to put two and two together about the sacrifice, he must have realized he he was the sacrifice. Um, but what are we to make of the narrator's silence here? Um, based on the tone of the conversation before, it seems that Isaac trusted and loved his father. He trusted him and loved. He trusted him with the things that he didn't know, and it seems that he knew he was safe. Um, because his father loved him. Um, but the narrator doesn't comment on that, and that's an interesting silence that we'll, we'll come back to. Um, so we come to the peak tension and the test resolution in, in verses 10 to 18. There are three parts of this falling action that help us make sense of God's test of Abraham. And so um, we'll, we'll read from 10 to verse 12, and then there's one in verse 12. So then he reached out, he, Abraham, reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So the first thing that we can There are three parts um, that help us make sense of God's test of Abraham. Here's the first. Um, In verse 12, we see the test outcome and purpose. The outcome, Abraham has passed with flying colors. He got an A+. 
Um, he proved his commitment and faithfulness to God in this hardest of tests. Um, but we also see the purpose um, in the angel's words. God's intent was not to harm Isaac. And notice how the do nots that is emphasized um, in the Hebrew twice. Um, and it's very in, uh, specific, not at all, in no way harm the boy. Um, but rather the test, so the purpose was not to harm Isaac, but rather give tangible evidence that Abraham feared God and did not withhold even his most beloved son from him. Um, the fear of God here has the sense of loving reverence. Um, and we can see that mature faith withholds nothing from God. Why? Out of we mature faith has complete trust and love in God's constant character, even and especially when we don't understand. Mature faith does not mean understanding everything, but withholding nothing from God. God loves us and He made us. He knows that when we keep things away from Him, it is not good for our hearts. Um, and so we see in the second, uh, the second thing we can see um, to help us interpret this test is uh, in verses 13 and 14, Abraham's faith in God's provision was vindicated. Um, God would provide, he said, God himself would provide. It's emphasized in the Hebrew in verse 8. And then we see in 13 and 14, God did provide. And in fact, the place is commemorated not on Abraham's obedience, but rather on God's faithful provision. Um, God did provide. Um, Abraham's faith was vindicated, so was God's character as a righteous provider. And he provided in a way that did not uh, violate his righteous laws, including um, he did not let Abraham go through with an abomination of a child's sacrifice. And God provides. He sees to everything his people need. The Israelites in the desert would have understood that or should have, right? They wrestled. Um, but God had provided over and over manna and water and protection, provided himself, his laws, um, reminders and leaders. And here we see God provided for Abraham's need. What was the need here? The need was evidently for Abraham to worship God. He provided the ram. It was a natural provision. There was a there was an, an animal. It was caught by its horns in a thicket. That was not a Super well, we don't look at that and say, like, oh, that's so supernatural, but God provides through natural and supernatural means. And so, here, what was Abraham's need? It was to worship God. That is a need God's people always have, and God saw to it. This altar would not go unused. God spared Isaac, but provided through this natural provision a substitute animal. And the ram, this innocent blood, was shed as a substitute for Isaac, who then lived, and in him lived the promised seed of the Messiah. And the ram represented Abraham's complete devotion to God because it represented Isaac, the thing that Abraham loved most in the world besides God. And so in this expression of devotion, death was still needed, Isaac's life was spared and another filled his place. But in 
But this ram was just a ram. And in the context of Genesis, the key conflict is human rebellion, which is the opposite of faithful devotion. Human rebellion we have seen in Genesis 3 ushered in death and corruption in God's world. Every human born has inherited Adam and Eve's sinful nature and rebellion against God. God is holy. He is holy in his character, and he hates rebellion and sin, but he loves his wayward creatures made in his image. We, in our own sinfulness, are unable to atone for our sin and reconcile ourselves to a holy God. So the question looms, who will come to pay the price of our sin? Who will restore what our rebellion destroyed? Who will save us from death's rule? God promised in Genesis 3.15 that an offspring of the woman would come to crush the head of of the serpent. And in this, Genesis 22 attests that although that uh, that final sacrifice, that final substitute, the perfect um, lamb of God who takes the sin of the world had not come in Isaac, he would come. God will provide and God will see to the lamb, the perfect son of Abraham. He sent Jesus Christ to stand in our place, a substitute and atoning sacrifice of our sin to die for us um, who Jesus, who was fully God and full, who is fully God and fully man, and He died for us on the cross on that same mountain, in that place, God the Father's only beloved, begotten Son. And so um, Isaac, we can see, and Abraham were a shadow, um, pointing ahead toward God, the greater sacrifice, um, God's perfect provision that Jesus Christ would come and restore um, life and wholeness and reconciliation with God. The last thing I think we can see in this outcome is that God's test of Abraham involves involved his bigger purpose. God blessed Abraham, sure, he had a test for Abraham, but what does that matter for you and for me? Um, maybe Abraham's a, just a model of how we should trust fully. Um, yes, he is that. He is a model of faithfulness, but not just. Look at um, what the angel declares in the culmination of this test, in verses 15 to 18. Um, uh, he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, here's the purpose, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Um, Abraham's blessing was never just for him. It was to be poured out to the whole world. And that a remnant of people from every country, every tribe, every language would be reconciled to God through Abraham's ultimate promised son, Jesus Christ. That was the purpose, the greater purpose of God's test of Abraham. Um, He is the one who will save all who come to him. um, And he will rescue us from sin and death. How does this help you understand God's character? And if you are saved, how has God blessed others through you? Um, how are you cooperating with His purposes, in the His greater purposes in the world? Okay, we see 
Um, in 19 to 24, Abraham journeys from Moriah. Um, so we see that after big tests, life returned back to ordinary things. So it seems. Um, verse 19, we see then Abraham returned to his servants and they sought off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Um, and then verses 20 to 24, Abraham hears some news about his family back in Mesopotamia. This is not as random as it might seem. Um, we see that just like Ishmael needed a wife um, in God's plan, verse, uh, chapter 21, uh, verse 21, similarly for Abraham's promised son Isaac to fulfill his place in God's story, he too must marry. He too must have physical offspring to be to carry on the inheritance of God covenant promise promises which is pointing us toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So Isaac is going to need to have the right the right wife. And so that news is going to be important in chapter 24. Um, so hang on to this information. It's not random. Um, as we look back at Genesis 22, there's a big chapter. There's a lot going on. Um, Genesis 22 invites us to wrestle. And to ask, what kind of God would ask such a thing? Why would he ask this? Um, I think as we've come out of that, um, I hope that I can see, I hope that you can see, this is a God who tests, but he tests not because he's mean, but because he wants to strengthen and bless. So that's a principle I think that we can learn um, from this section. When God tests his people, he intends blessing. When God tests his people, he intends blessing. Uh, the movie Karate Kid, which was out when I, when I was a kid, so I'm dating myself, um, it shows um, Daniel, the kid, um, in a hard life situation, and he ends up learning martial arts from an older man who's on the fringes of society and usefulness, um, Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi sets Daniel um, in, he's, Daniel's supposed to learn martial arts, but Mr. Miyagi, rather than having him do things that Daniel would think would teach him to be um, skillful in martial arts, um, Mr. Miyagi gives Daniel hours and hours and hours of mean, seemingly meaningless chores. He's waxing the cars, he's painting the fence, I think he's washing windows, um, hours of mundane labor. And finally, Daniel gets to the point where he's had enough. Um, and he confronts Mr. Miyagi. And through that amazing scene, Daniel, we see on Daniel's face as he processes the fact that all those seemingly like inconsequential, meaningless tests had actually been developing him, testing him and strengthening him, giving him muscle memory from all those chores. But what's most remarkable is not the growth, not um, Daniel's uh, neural and muscular pathways and how that prepared him um, to face the the battle that he would face in the in the um, in the tournament. That's not the most thing that's remarkable. The most remarkable thing is the loving commitment of Mr. Miyagi to Daniel. Mr. Miyagi was more concerned about Daniel's development on the path forward 
um, that he didn't worry about trying to justify to Daniel all these reasons. The biggest lesson lesson of the wax on wax off was not the muscle movement, but it was a it was a heart movement. Daniel could trust Mr. Miyagi. And if Daniel should tr- entrust himself to Mr. Miyagi, how much more should we entrust ourselves wholeheartedly to our loving Heavenly Father, even when we do not fully understand His very creative and mysterious ways? Despite what you and I might have learned at the hand of poor authority figures in this life, the posture of God toward believers is loving blessing, um, even and especially in our suffering and our hard and our hard places. The path to growth can be slow and arduous. It can seem nonsensical. The tests that he has us um, endure, and yet when our creative, loving Father God is sanctifying his children, there is no wasted suffering, no wasted waiting, no meaningless tasks. There are tests that turn out well, and those bring blessing. Um, I think about James 1, 12, uh, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when is he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And yet, tests that don't go so well for us reveal areas of growth. Yes, this is painful, but it is still blessing, and it may result in discipline, which will feel bad at the time, but that is blessing, as Hebrews twelve five through 8 reveals to us. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God tests his people, but he does so to provide blessing, loving purpose and blessing. How is God lovingly, wisely designed tests to strengthen you, to prepare you, to vindicate you? When tests squeezed you, what has come out? What good things have come out? What things that still need work have come out? And how has God blessed you through both of those kinds of tests. And what do you do with the test results? What have you done with the tests of 2020? Um, what will Vicky do? Choose to do with more unstructured time. How will Vicky respond to concerns of people made more vulnerable by COVID? Um, what will I do with those? I have been tested and I can see them. <laughs> what will I do with the outcome of those tests? What will you do? Um, And how does that speak to our wrestlings with Genesis 22? Um, I think the lesson for us is that God's posture and test for believers is not to catch us unawares, not to make our lives miserable, not to shame us, but are actually to bless. The life commitment to God will not be easy, but by God's grace, our labor to seek Him will not be in vain, because God's heart is for us. He loves His people. Okay, we're going to see Abraham in chapter twenty-three. We'll go on. This is a this is a short section. Um, I mean, it's it's longer, but we're we're going to cover it very quickly. Um, Abraham faces 
Sarah's death, and we see him grieve with hope. And so there are two two subsections in this chapter. I think verse one and two. Um, we see Abraham mourning Sarah's death. Um, Sarah lived to be a hundred and. 27 years old, she died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Um, this is the wife that we've seen at Abraham's side um, since we first met them in Genesis 11. Um, the wording is formal and a bit abrupt. And, although, and yet, although we've encountered death many times in Genesis since it was first introduced, um, as a consequence for Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3. This is the most poignant moment of that we have seen of grief over death. Abraham sat mourning for her. He wept over her. Um, we might think, oh, 127 years. Wow, that is a really nice long life. Um, but my friends... Even after a life well-lived, death always hurts. Um, I have not lost my spouse, but I have grieved the loss of those that my heart held very dear. Death destroys a person made in the image of God. And these two verses speak powerfully about what happened in Genesis 22. Abraham's faithfulness was proved in Genesis 22. Could he have passed that test in, like, in a better way? Isaac seemingly submitted very willingly to what to undergo that that test as well, and God provided the ram. God promised to bless the whole world. Everything in Genesis chapter Genesis twenty two went stellarly, and yet what it was not enough. Um, it didn't conquer death. Isaac, though he was miraculous. He was the promised offspring of the woman, Sarah. He was not the offspring who would crush the head of the serpent. How do we know? Because death still came. Um, and yet Abraham, in the face of that, um, wow, we're going to need to wait longer for God to restore um, this world. Abraham demonstrates his sure faith that God would keep his covenant promises. And we see that going on into this next section, 3 to 20. Um, Abraham goes to pay a full price for the burial cave at Machpelah. Um, and the rest of this chapter is dedicated to Abraham negotiating with people living in the land. He says, I am an alien, verse 4, and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. And he actually asked very specifically, he had a place in mind. Verse 9, so Ephron, son of Zohar, will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Um, Abraham would not accept the plot as a gift, even though it was offered. There was something about purchasing the land which seemed to indicate Abraham's faith that the this is the land that would belong to him that God had promised. This was a this was an ownership in perpetuity. Abraham didn't need to buy the whole field or the whole country. God would give it, but he did need a part now to um, bury uh, his wife Sarah. And so that it was not overtly stated, Abraham may have looked 
we think, will have looked ahead to God's promises of heavenly restoration. And I'm getting that from Hebrews 11, 13, and 16. These, which include Abraham, all died in faith, not having received things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Okay, principle I think we can learn from this last section. Um, death will not be the last word for those who trust Jesus. Death will not be the last word for those who trust God and his promises. The life of commitment to God is not easy. What is the end of God's faithful servants? Right now, according to what we see with our eyes, it is death um, that hurts, and uh, we rightly grieve to that. But death is not the end. As Genesis hints, God promises to rescue from death all those who trust Him and His promises. And by God's grace, our commitment to Him will not be in vain. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, um, as a, for as by a man came death, by a man, in Jesus Christ, has also come the resurrection of the dead. Um, Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, um, I am the re- resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What difference should it make to you and to me that death will not be the victor, how does that help you grieve and grieve with hope? How does that help you live today knowing that God has given Christ victory over death? We too shall see life. Um, the journey that God has marked out for us is not, despite what we might hope, a life of easy coasting. There is no retirement, no coasting in the Christian life. Yes, God provides times of rest, but as we look, we are called to look ahead toward our ultimate rest with God. God calls us to cooperate with Him now. Keep seeking His face, friends. Wrestle with Him and do not let go until He promises to bless us. The heart of our gracious God, though we do not fully understand His ways, has been proven to be for us, not against us. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him wholly? Will you let no other trust, no other love intrude? And will you, by His grace, use the time He gives you today to seek His face and be about His business? Um, Jesus says, um, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom His Master has set over His household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom His Master will find doing so when He comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us. You are for us. Help us, uh, dear Jesus, to trust in you fully and wholly and commit our lives to you in the unique ways that you develop and strengthen us. We pray in your powerful name. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us next time on Zoom on Monday, January 18th at 7 p.m. Central as we discuss Genesis chapter 24. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.